Patrick and Tom thought they had escaped the hell of Amityville, but another franchise has gotten its hooks into them. The Amityville Podcast Goes to Hell. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I'm Tom. I'm Pat, and we're back in hell, but hell coming to Earth. Help! All the whips and all the chains. We come into America. <laughs> That's right. It's Hellraiser Three. Yeah, Hell on show Earth. Show your pleasure, pain. <laughs> Hell coming. Yeah. Anyway, this is the first fully legitimately American production of a Hellraiser film. Yeah. No, it's like nothing was filmed in England. Nothing was filmed in England pretending to be America. Mm-hmm. This was all filmed in North Carolina because Hell, because New World and Future World went under, or Future Film went under, and Dimension bought the rights. So now we're... Uh, so from now until at least uh, Hellraiser... Six. Judgment. No, I, I Dimension oh, really? owned it all the way to Judgment. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, they were the ones prolonging That's the rights. That's right. That's right, right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is all Dimension films, which brings into the equation a force even more evil than Pinhead. Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Although, like, the book makes, like, goes out of its way to, uh, Mention there to say like Bob Weinstein was the one more directly involved with yeah. these, which may or may not be true. Right, and uh, Dimension was a subsidiary of Miramax. For those of you not familiar, themselves. Um, but yeah. oh, go ahead. Yeah, it was them. Basically, they had been an art house brand for a long while, mm-hmm. um, and quite successfully. I mean, you know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Tarantino really built their for brand Miramax. out yeah, for yeah. Miramax. <laughs> But a lot of genre stuff was hitting, and they didn't want to, like many studios, air quotes, sully their brand. No, no, no. But they knew where money was. Yeah, they want to make they, they want some of that hell raise money too. Yeah, so they created the Dimension imprint, which uh, was a lot of horror, a lot the, of sci-fi, and a lot of import stuff. Like a lot of Jackie Chan stuff was getting brought oh, over yeah. under Dimension. Yeah. it was basically yeah their their way of being kind of a grindhouse schlockhouse within a yeah, and they they put out some great stuff. We got they gave us the Scream franchise initially before mm-hmm. that went to Paramount. Yep, from Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn. I mean anything Tarantino, and yeah. for the first for the first bunch of his career, uh, Rodriguez. Yeah, definitely. Um, like after Elmer, I'm pretty. Actually, wait, is Desperado Miramax or Touchstone? The, that trilogy, the entire Mariachi trilogy, is Columbia TriStar. Okay, okay. Uh, Sony originally, uh, or Columbia originally imported El Mariachi, mm-hmm. then produced the next two. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But gotcha. Um, Rodriguez worked with Miramax on From Dust Till Dawn, Four Rooms. The Faculty. Faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the whole Kevin Williamson thing okay. outside of the last summer's. But yeah, I mean, Dimension was a huge force in horror through the 90s. And it starts here. Hellraiser, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth is the first Dimension production. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. I know. <laughs> yeah, we're here at a historical moment. Um, one thing I'll mention, just because we're talking about Dimension, I may have mentioned it before. Uh, somewhere along the way, they gave Dimension its own title jingle. Like the Fox fanfare, yeah. the you know, mm-hmm. 
And it was when they put out I Halloween. keep hearing the Miramax one right now the whole time we've been talking. The it was like dun, 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 like the M goes on. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. It, it has it had a little thing. And then, well, there you was, have mentioned this before. Yeah, it was, and actually, I think it's the Miramax logo. It's uh, there was Miramax logo that yeah. uses it now, but it was part of the Halloween score because it was Halloween H two O Halloween twenty. And if you watch some, even to this day, there still are Miramax and Dimension movies coming out, although not under them because yeah. they split off to the Weinstein Company. Yeah. Which, actually, the Weinstein Company did take the Dimension imprint with them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was reading up on them earlier gotcha. today. They they did like when um, it's like so. Dimension uh, Miramax was out, and then about two years after Dimension was formed, uh, Disney bought Miramax, and uh, mm. then uh, when eventually the Weinstein split off, they took Dimension with them. Gotcha. Um, I just know that like I've seen stuff even made in the last couple of years that still uses some of the Halloween score in that logo. Sure. And I wonder if Carpenter is getting paid, but I based on that. Hollywood tradition, probably not. Yeah, no. Um, but he's still until he's like slightly less cranky. Slightly. He'll always be cranky because he's earned it. I mean, yeah. He knows that the world loves it. He knows that there are absolute <laughs> hardcore fans. He knows that real critics respect a lot of his movies from along the way. And none of that ever helped get anything greenlit when he was trying to get them made in the first place. I was going to phrase it differently. It's just like he knows all of that. He just wants to get paid. It's like at this point, he, he doesn't to give a, a shit. He's just I like, let's he, get the money. I think he's living comfortably. I think yeah. the royalties are great for him. Mm. I think what really hurts him is that he wanted to make XYZ movies and oh, yeah. he was not considered bankable enough to get the Creature from the Black Lagoon budget or the Escape from Mars budget or, you know, mm-hmm. plenty of other projects he wanted to get going. That's right. Yeah. Oh. But that aside, we that were going to talk about... That has nothing to do with this. <laughs> um... And only tangentially, uh, you showed me before we started a music, two music videos. Two music videos um, for Hellraiser. One by, uh, so the Hellraiser 3 had the tie-in song Hellraiser by Motorhead, which apparently was uh, co-written by Lemmy Kilmeister, Zach Wilde, and Ozzy Osbourne. And so, as it turns out, uh, even though me not being that much of a metalhead, the first time I heard this is from the Hellraiser, this Hellraiser movie, so I thought Motorhead had it first. But uh, apparently Ozzy Osbourne uh, released his version of the song first in 1991. This motor, uh, Motorheads came out in 92. And then some like 30 years later, there is a new newly formed duet between Lemmy and Ozzy on... Uh, I think the the Wikipedia article said that it's, uh, the, the music is more the Aussie version than the Motorhead version. It sounded like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But either, I kind of dug this duet. I, I think it I think it came together very well. We were talking yeah. about how it did marry the best in guitar styles, in vocal styles, like finding a way to balance the two together yeah. Yeah. to make it really feel like a hybrid, not just a arbitrary like, mashup. Yeah, like elevated for, right. uh, for having the two different styles together. Yeah. There's... Because... And it's one of the things I wanted to talk about on the early pre-show here, which we are doing 
redundancy. Wait, we've been recording this whole time? Uh, I think so. I was introducing myself because you forget who I am every time we meet every week. Tony Randall! That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Not just a callback to Tom Hanks, but to last week's director. Indeed. So, yeah, there's uh, horror movies have had a long, rich tradition of the music tie-in. I mean, movies have in general. Go back to, like, raindrops keep falling on my head, you know. But especially, man, through the 80s was a lot of metal tie-ins to horror Mm -hmm. into the 90s. And the 90s also started giving us the rap tie-in. Well, with the 80s and the 90s, there had always been a song for the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why there's the Academy Award for it. But now that we could have music videos for it, it it opened everything up to Mm -hmm. more uh, more genres of pop music, including Mm -hmm. Like we could have the rap song, the heavy metal song tie in mm-hmm. to our music video. Or, you know, in the case of The Mask, the techno remix of, you know, Cuban Pete. That is a hell of a thing. It's amazing. I love it. Unabashedly. I have the kiss single from when I worked at the theater, and I have the song in my karaoke book. It's because it's I'm great. not saying I love it as much as you. No, nobody does. Nobody, nobody watched an entire day's worth of MTV to tape the music video off of MTV. Except Except you. for me. All so, right. no, nobody does. I had, I, I took a, no, I don't have any of my cassettes anymore, but yeah, I had the Mask soundtrack. Mask soundtrack was great. There was some good stuff on there. Dude, yeah. K7's on there. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, surprisingly, for having as much uh, swing time music, no Brian Seltzer Orchestra. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. It's kind of funny. But anyway. Yeah. Honestly, they probably thought they couldn't afford him because The Mask was a cheap production, it considering. Was. Uh, it was. Yeah, and they didn't know Jim Carrey was a star. He was literally Wait. just kind of a throw in, and then he broke while that was in production. So. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. lucky that. For but yeah, um, yeah, like. Through the 80s, I'd say the first real breakout one would have probably been Dream Warriors. That was uh, that was so good. Or in terms of like horror mute movie, uh, uh, like music horror times. movie song. Like yeah, Dream Warriors was a breakout because even though it was after it, it didn't do as well. Trick or Treat had the whole Fastway soundtrack, but there was no like runaway um, mm-hmm. mega hit from it. Uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare was too small a release. You had Ozzy's song, or no, uh, Alice Cooper did the song for um, Shocker. Well, Shocker and uh, Friday Six. Yes. Yeah, he's back, the man the behind the mask. The man behind. Just yeah. one of my absolute favorites. It's amazing, but I, like I, I remember reading an article that like noted it is very. Um, or it, in terms of musically, it is unlike, and it's not like Alice Cooper's usual music. It really is because it's all synthesizers and yeah. shit. So it's kind of funny, but and the lyrics are kind of not great. No, because it's because it's, it was because you would get like they're like the different types of move. They're like regardless of genre or production, there are two types of movie music, movie tie-in song. There's the ones like the Hellraiser 3, the Motorhead Hellraiser, which this is an existing song that, you know what, this kind of works for this, so now we're going right. to do it. Versus the, we are going to write a song. Mm-hmm. And you're those getting are what you're getting. Some. some of them are good. 
Now, some of them actually predated like, Dream uh, Warriors. Tur- tur- Turtle Power, the song that plays at the end of the original yeah. Ninja Turtles song mm-hmm. movie, that is a jam yeah. right there. That was written for it, Partners in Crime. Yes. Um, that's why I, I feel like the raps tend to work better. It's um, easier. The Waxwork 2 rap, the Maniac Cop, Maniac two, Cop rap. 2 rap. My God, I love that Psycho one. Gorman has a rap at yes, the, at yes, the end of yes, the credits. Which points to him. Which is amazing. Um, Bones. Um, I haven't seen I mean, Bones. Um, uh, Tales from the Hood. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopping out of horror to more thriller, you have the entire rap metal Judgment Night soundtrack, which is just a fucking great album. I've only seen the movie the once, so I don't remember the music much. The movie's fine. But the album. That's part of why I hail myself. That's the thing is, I I can barely tell you. Like, the movie's basically, if I remember right. No, never mind. I was thinking Mm -hmm. Trespass was the remake of Sierra Madre. Judgment so. Night. Judgment no. Night's its own thing. It's its own thing. I really don't remember much about the movie, but except for the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. But that soundtrack is just great. That's fair. Like, I kind of remember, uh, or no, I say, I remember, I listen to it, like, every other week. Uh, I love how the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack is just about half rap. Yeah. For no re- uh, no other reason it was than it's awesome. And all of those songs, that mm-hmm. Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack is better than Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Putting it out there. It got two different Bobby Brown songs on there and a Run DMC song. You want to talk I'm about. I'm with you on the Run DMC song and the one Bobby Brown song. Which one? Uh, one around. Uh, okay, on our own, but then, two hot handles, two hold, yeah. hold. Oh, oh no, I'm trying. I was trying to compare it to the other Bobby Brown song, which is um, not on our stuff. own. Um, no, it's a we're back. We're back yeah. to fight the evil. You will never deceive us. We're back. Da, 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 da. Did it? Now, yeah. now I'm standing by it. All right. Yeah, the one go, one go song, solid. Yeah. Flesh and blood. But the first I'm Ghostbusters. I do love Ghostbusters. First too. Ghostbusters predates Dream Warriors. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call it a horror movie, but I guess it does fit in there. It does fit in there. And that was made that was, for the movie. That was a massive, massive breakout hit song. Uh, so actually, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna amend my previous statement because yeah. even predates like the hit maker Back to the Future with mm. you know all the Huey Lewis. Well, that one's kind of fun because that one you have both, and both were moderate, uh, both were hits to varying degrees because mm-hmm. you had the Power of Love has to have been an existing song. Um, that was one I think they had ready on the shelf that was going to be a part of the album that they okay. tweaked. Okay, I'll and then Back that. in Time. Back in time was more specifically composed yeah. for the film. Yeah, so you got both um, of them, and both of them were hits. Oh, yeah, huge! But like, Power of Love was a monster. Power of Love, so good. <laughs> both songs are great. I know, but like, yeah. you can see like the one that was kind of more yeah. pre-existing of an idea yeah. becomes a better song. But you try and recapture that magic intentionally. And you wind up with things like Double Back is a fine song. It's a fine song. But it wasn't a hit. And no. honestly, the Run DMC Ghostbusters, awesome song, it's not a hit. It wasn't a hit, even though it is one of my absolute favorite Run DMC songs. It's so Just good. Period. It's, oh, God damn yeah. it. But yeah. it was also kind of funny because, like, put, like setting it like with Dream Warriors or even earlier with uh, Ghostbusters because Ghostbusters that's only like two years prior to Dream Warriors Dream yeah, Warriors uh, was 86 or was it 87 it's probably 87 I want to say it's 87 so like maybe three 84, years. 85, 87 I think they had the ga- a gap yeah. year yeah <laughs> uh, 
Well, we had to figure out what to do after Nightmare Part 2. Right. Which, you know, yes, time would eventually tell that that was a pretty good movie, but at the time it's like, did we just kill this before we even got it off the ground? But um, you used to have novelty horror songs. Oh, there was a Monster Mash and, you know, Thriller's Pajama Party. and Thriller! I'm I'm saying Thriller was like a couple of years before, but then like once movie songs became a thing, or or popular movie songs became a thing, less I gotta amend myself again because predating all of them was Michael Jackson. Ben, his Oscar nomination. He was nominated for an Oscar. You're right, you're right. For Ben. For Ben. About a rat, and that song's beautiful. It's a great song. I I've love heard, that song. I've heard Faith No More cover it live twice. Really? Oh, they do it as a regular at their concerts. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. They do that. I started a joke. Uh, they have a couple rando I songs that they choice. like to break <laughs> out live. Fair enough. But, um, but of course, all of this was uh, laying the groundwork for the... Uh, the day that music changed forever when uh, Fat Boys released uh, what was the name of Are You Ready for Freddy? Are You Ready for Freddy? And that was an official rap song for part four uh, the Jazzy Jeff Fresh Prince one four wasn't it? Yeah Yeah. Um, but uh, five had a different one wait no well no I'm just I'm remembering Ready yeah, no, five different. Five has a rap song that plays on the credits, but I don't remember anything about it. And it's, neither do it, I. It never appears on like anybody's compilation or mixes because yeah. it's terrible. I'm specifically tracking down movie raps for karaoke. Yeah, and at least trying to like notate what's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, make as many as I can on my own, but they are sure. very difficult to get separated and processed. Well, Anywho, yeah. Um, but yeah, the one for part five. Nah, I got no, 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 no. Uh, Ready for Freddy is. It's so bad. It's good. It's not good. It's so bad. It's good. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll. I'll give it another listen, but it is not. If you don't watch yourself, I'm gonna thrill you too. But this can't is- say killing a song, because that would be weird. As opposed to the unofficial Nightmare on Elm Street song, and arguably one of the greatest novelty horror songs. Yeah, Nightmare on My Street. Nightmare on My Street. Which they even had to put a label on the tape afterwards because that that album was hitting as Elm Street 3 was on its way, Mm -hmm. and they had to put stickers saying, not affiliated with Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Man, talk about looking a gift horse in the mouth. Like yeah. not understanding, just hey, yeah, you're going. You're not going to get as much of the royalty money from this because they made it on their own. But you can start scheduling appearances. You can boost your movie with mm-hmm. their their appearances. You could throw them a couple bucks real quick and make it official and make mix, it official. And remix a video for it. Yeah, uh, there is options here because the music video for that song. Have you ever seen it? It's weird. It's. <laughs> God awful! It's so it's so weird. Um, the 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 Freddy surrogate is bizarre. I I, I like curly to, blonde hair. I like to think that he is the uh, like the real life human that Mac tonight was the ghost of. I'd believe that. Yeah, yeah it's the sunglasses. The, the sunglasses. The giant. The chin. weird skin. The giant yeah, chin. But again, bad. just like weirdly curl like tight curl flat top kind of not good it's bad it's It's very bad yeah 
Not a good look. Seven, but the better song. Seven had a tie-in movie music video. What? Gravity Kills, I'm Guilty. For seven. For seven. And that wasn't even the only movie that song was in in the in the nineties. That was. No, in, I remember uh, it had like scenes of from the movie Seven in it. Yeah, because that was on. Uh, I'm gonna name a bunch of them and assume it was on either Virtuosity, Hideaway, Virtuosity, Mortal Kombat. Gravity Kill. Gravity uh, Kills is on. Uh, they are on. Hold on. I know they. I'm gonna they're, keep they're naming on. soundtracks that they probably were on, and if they're not, they should have been. Gravity uh, Kills, The Crow, The Crow Two, City of Angels. Uh, you've got Lawnmower Man One or and or Two. You've got I would say The say Crush. Anyway. Oh, I didn't say The Crush. Dark City maybe had some Gravity Kills on the soundtrack. Thirteenth Floor, even though it's not even remotely the right time period for it in within the computer world, for some reason I expect some Gravity Kills on the soundtrack. It's in Bay. What? The not the Zemeckis. One. No. It's, okay. It's the the Christopher Lambert. Ah, I forgot about um, that. Yeah. No. Gravity Kills. I know they are on the. They're on both Virtuosity and Mortal Kombat, but not get that song. Not guilty. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So it, it's goodbye. Parentheses demo version. On the Mortal Kombat soundtrack, Blame is on Escape from L.A. Right. Suffocating featuring Moby is on Spawn. Oh, how did I forget that? Ah, that's such a graphic. Right. Um, um, apparently they're not on Virtuosity. I think Virtuosity might have been more leaning more on the techno side than the it was. industrial. Because that had some Debbie Harry like techno mm-hmm. uh, experiments. Um, but Gravity Kills is kind of like the Loggins and Messina of 90s, like, constant soundtrack appearances. I, I, I counted four across the entire 90s. I Come on. Standing by my statement. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, Whitney Houston had more hits from just The Bodyguard. Well, that's one album, and that's considered an album of Whitney Houston's more, just as much as it is a soundtrack. Just saying. It's like, you can argue that, you know, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band have plenty of hits, but they're all from any of the cruisers. Oh, yeah. A movie whose soundtrack got its sequel. Well, definitely wasn't Michael Perret's charisma. Well, the movie bombed, and then it hit HBO and Showtime, and people were catching it on cable mm-hmm. and liked the music, so they started going and buying the album. And so the movie bombs did nothing on home video, hits cable, and all of a sudden, like this year and a half later, the soundtrack goes gold, mm-hmm. and nobody can understand it until they figure out the cable thing, and they're like, oh, well we should probably make another movie so we can have another soundtrack because this is well, this is just a license to print money. So they made Eddie Lives and it bumped. I mean, I have not seen either film. Uh, but there was, like, the 90s was the golden age of your movie can be whatever, but you can have a hit soundtrack regardless. This was, I want to say Eddie Lives was 88 or 89. Okay. I'm just saying, like, it was it was still in the 80s of, oh, Cable actually can do something. Yeah. Like, this, you know, there's a future here. I always, like, 
I want to like Michael Pere more. He's in a bunch of movies I like, and I like him in them. Yeah. But it's like it's it's there's, it's like there's not a lot there. Presence wise. <laughs> He's Except always, like Streets of Fire, he's amazing in that. He's amazing. Well, he's good in the Philadelphia Experiment. The star of the Philadelphia Experiment is the movie. Um, yeah. But like he, like Streets of Fire doesn't work if he's not as good as he is in that movie. Yeah. I like any of the cruisers. I did not like Bad Moon. I haven't seen Bad. Moon. Oh boy! <laughs> it's uh, an hour and twenty minutes of him and a dog staring at each other for the most part. I mean, but like in a bad way. Yeah. Okay. He's always kind of had a Eric Roberts, mm, yeah, kind of vibe like mm-hmm. Eric Roberts, Thomas there. Jane. There's something like in that no, wheelhouse. Tom, in that Thomas wheelhouse, Jane okay. is genuinely good. No, I'm saying take that type, yeah, and then just put it of. I know he's not, but we you want to give him a shot. But he's you're you're shooting for this, but oh, we have Thomas Jane at home. I think Thomas Jane is better than Eric Roberts and Michael Perea. That's why I'm States. saying we want Thomas Jane. Oh, but we have Thomas Jane at home. This is the grandmother's off-brand, but like store brand, you know. Yeah. It's a shame yeah. because some store brands actually are getting legitimately good. That whole reference is starting to fall apart. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure it really came together for me. Because I hold Thomas Jane in very high esteem. Well, I meant the entire concept of store brand version has oh. started to fall apart over recent years because mm, some are good. Yeah. So, Hellraiser 3. Hellraiser 3. Uh, the first American one. Uh, directed by a Brit. Directed by a Brit. Not direct. So, it was in- originally intended for. Uh, Tony Randall to come back, but then the new new Dimension guy said he doesn't have enough he uh, he doesn't have enough experience. And then Peter Rackin said, "I can direct it." And he's like, "You've got even less." Mm-hmm. And so Anthony Hickox came in, and Clive was not happy. Oh, he was or he was concerned uh, that Atkin or uh, that Hickox would not take the material as seriously and would make it more jokey. And so he apparently had a sit down with Hickox, at which point Hickox says, Oh, no, 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 I love Hellraiser. It's going to be a Hellraiser movie. Yeah. Uh, but you look at Hickox's career up until then of Waxwork 1 and 2 and Sundown the Vampire and Retreat. And Jokey is just, definitely his brand. It just we're not. He's good at it. Clive wasn't wrong to have concerns. Yeah, he didn't make it. He didn't make it stink. He had to sit down, and, and I think Anthony Hickox did a great job with this movie. Yeah. Uh, but he, was, Peter Jackson was offered this movie, and he immediately turned them down because for the same reasons that Clive was concerned. Because he was just like, I'm too... I, I look for jokes. Like, yeah. the minute I have Pinhead in a movie, I'm putting Pinhead's head into a wall, and all of the the nails are coming back bent. Yeah. And he's like, I just... He's like, in this little blurb, he said, I just kept thinking of funny things to do with Pinhead. And so <laughs> I had... I had to politely decline. Yeah. But that would have made him perfect for an Elm Street, which he was in line for, mm-hmm. or a Tales from the Crypt, which Frighteners was written to be. Yeah. I'm so glad that escaped. 
it, it was worthwhile. It, it's like kind of like the Final Destination, like X-Files. as an X Files. Yeah. It's like this. You you were right. You you were correct to start this as for this television show, but you were even more right to realize this has the legs to be a feature film. Yeah, this can be its own thing that doesn't have to stand up on that. Exactly. But then, um, even with all of that, uh, Clive was not happy with the original cut. And uh, combined with the Weinsteins really wanted to be able to say Clive Barker's Hellraiser 3. Mm-hmm. And Clive had nothing to do with this movie up until this point. So they're yeah. like, if we give you the money to fix the movie, can we say you, pre- you uh, Clive Barker presents? And he's like, sure. So, things that Clive added. Say it now because I remember it now. Um, basically, all the CG bits are Clive. Really? Yeah. He added the CG of the girl's skin being ripped off. That's Mm -hmm. him. All the CG and apparently like something like half of the nightclub massacre gags are him. Really? Uh, He said that the movie, Clive said that the cut he saw, the movie didn't really have an ending. So uh, Joey in the bondage at the end is Clive. The monster that is coming up for her, that is Clive. Uh, that like kind of big stuff. Yeah. Um, it's not that loud. Okay. <laughs> um, it's just been, it's been a while since I've heard the been, radiator. Yeah. It's been very cold this week. Um, so uh, with that, uh, Clive was on board. Like he, like Clive, credited the editors and the special effects guys because. Like, up until I read it there, and up until I said it to you, would you have noticed that there are parts that are just shot completely different uh, at completely different times after the movie had already wrapped? I'll see what I noticed. That's fair. Yeah. Looking for it now. But, yeah, and apparently there was, like, also... I don't think it got filmed, but there was, like, a completely different ending in the draft, the Peter Atkins' uh, original draft, where Joey agrees to be Pinhead's bride like uh, as a trade-off for the wildly successful uh, TV career. Mm. I really would have liked that better. Would have been interesting. Would have been definitely in keeping with the Hellraiser. Yeah. But uh, what's in it for me? Exactly. But so... With, unless we have anything else to that's completely unrelated to Hellraiser 3 to talk about. Uh, not really. We covered the, your major points of your <laughs> rock and rap soundtracks. Rock and rap soundtracks. Yeah. Space Jam is not a horror movie. I mean, the new one, an argument could be made. Oh, they're horrible. Ah. They're not good. I don't like either movie. Actually, I never saw the new one. But I've heard that the new one, um, like, oh, well, did you like the original? No. Then why are you asking? That's a fair question. Yeah. Uh, It's just all cameos, then preferences, then. Oh, so it's the first one. With with slightly less charm, I think. Oof. Yeah, don't get me wrong. The first one, it, it, it's basically a movie. It's we're trying to do Roger Rabbit with somebody with somebody that's never acted before and is not a trained actor. Yeah, and oddly enough, it stinks. And I rem- I had memories of well, I remember Bill Murray at least being funny. Bill Murray is funny. But I watch it again. I'm like, Bill Murray is in this and he's charming, but they're not letting him be funny. That's fair. They're letting him be just likable enough to say, well, we've got Bill Murray here. We're breaking the fourth wall, but, like, 
most of those jokes feel really run through corporate. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I have no love for the movie. I, it was after my time. Gotcha. That said, soundtrack. Great. With, uh, Good soundtrack. Seal, Fly yeah, Like Kiss an Eagle. Or, and, or Fly Like an Eagle, yeah. And, Kiss from a Rose was Batman. Never mind. Kiss from yeah. a Rose from Batman. And though we hate to give him any credit, I believe I Can Fly is one of the greatest songs ever made. I won't say that. I'll say... It's a good song, Boo. but I can enjoy listening to the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's version. It's it is better. Yeah, <laughs> if only because there's not a pederast singing it. Exactly. This is writing the words that they're singing. Mm-hmm. It's a cover song. It's a difference. It's a difference. Cover it's songs a can do a lot. <laughs> somebody, um, somebody, like a month or so ago, wanted to sing a Smith song at karaoke, and somebody else was like, oh, I fucking hate Morrissey. And I was like, well, this is the beauty of karaoke. You get to hear a Smith song with no Morrissey. It's karaoke. Like, oh, huh, everybody wins. Exactly. But now we're going to win, because we get to watch Hellraiser 3, which... uh, I don't know. Do I have my DVD set up because I think the D, my DVD is like the more uncut version. It's also on HBO Max, but I don't know if they're going to have like the I feel like there's a more gorier version than was originally on VHS. Um, well, we can do a couple moments research before we hit play. Fair. All right. Yeah. And, and we'll let you know which version or versions are available on HBO because uh, sometimes if they have a director's cut available, yeah. if you scroll down under the movie, under special features, the director's cut is just there. Fair enough. I've found that for several movies so far. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's funky. Yep. All right. Let's take a look. All right. All right. Talk to you in a minute. We are back, and we've just finished Hellraiser 3, Hell on a very specific part of Earth that should be North New York, but is very South Carolina, and it's really North about North. three blocks. Or, yes. North Carolina. North Carolina. North Carolina. And it's all about three blocks worth of it. Yeah. Hell on a small pocket of a, of a town. We're on a budget. I understand. Which is kind of like an underlying theme of the whole movie. It's just like, you know, we're on a budget. Yeah. Even though the movie looks good. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not cheap looking or anything like that, but... There's there's times where I feel like some of the uh, rocks don't act like rocks, and... Rocks don't act like rocks. Like something, you know, concrete gets busted up and it bounces like styrofoam. Wow. Yeah. There's... But there's, there's some seams, is what I'm saying. Sure, sure. Yeah. But there's a lot of, like, Pinhead is kind of under the gun or, you know, mm-hmm. at a disadvantage for most of the film. True. As yeah. compared to the previous two. But, the, you know, this is the price you pay for becoming a full-fledged character now. Right. Instead of just, you know, the arbiter of things. Yeah. And it's the uh, what a lot of writers do when they jump into any given superhero that they're not necessarily versed in. Mm-hmm. Let's take away the powers Ugh. so that you have to rebuild the powers. That's so boring. Um, we want to see the character with the powers challenged. Yes. But 
No, no. It's any time in comic books. I hate it when they do it. I hate it when they do it in movies and in TV shows. Like, look, I'm not here to watch Ordinary Man. I want to watch Spider Man. Exactly. Do things. Not like, oh, I'm having problems with my powers. I wonder if he'll still be heroic without his powers. This is turns out. Yeah. Um, Elm Street Four did have this problem. Or no, five. five. Yeah. yeah. Four depowers Freddy, and five is trying to get him back up to speed. There's other issues with five. But yeah. it was, again, like, and this one, I mean, the Cenobites had more or less been destroyed at the end of two. Or at the very least, our main four. Right. Um, so, yeah, we've got a pinhead trying to get his groove back. Indeed. Which uh, we we begin actually we begin we begin with Clive Barker's name before everything else, which I was amused by. Mm-hmm. But then um, we pick up where we left off in terms of where was Pinhead last? He was in the weird little pillar of souls that erupted from Julia's bed when the workman uh, foolishly was playing around with the blood in right. Julia's deathbed, and now it has been painted kind of like a flat bluish greenish color yeah. and is being sold from a weirdo art dealer it's, uh, uh, you had mentioned uh, that the homeless people were supposed to be scam artists was a running theme yeah that was like that's what Joey finds so figures out later right, okay. it's just yeah, like yeah. that the whole uh, art gallery thing is just a front for uh, basically homeless random people you know selling things as if it's art which kind of yeah. felt like uh, Amityville uh, The Next Generation right. when uh, uh, Keys whatever his last name is uh, gets the uh, gets the mirror yeah but because uh, they point out in this one they're like oh here are the receipts yeah these they bought they bought off like high school art shows mm. which I love that because yeah. you look at some of the art and yeah why not yeah kind of but I mean if you like what you put on your wall enjoy it exactly uh, but here we're introduced to J.P. Monroe this guy is the worst mm-hmm. I love it. like we're introduced with the shoes first but she has these really ornate silver plated cowboy boots mm-hmm. that have never seen a trail or even dust yeah uh, and he's got this haircut it, it, it's combed forward but it's cut in such a way that it almost comes to a point above like the, yeah. the bridge of his uh, it's uh, some nose. sort of a horrible blend between that mid 90's Clooney cut and yeah. a pompadour yes but in all of the wrong ways yeah yeah it's yeah. terrible. He's terrible. He's one of the worst people I've ever seen mm-hmm. in film. It's as if you gave an AI bot the instructions, 90s bad boy. Yeah. 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 Bobby Briggs, if... Yeah, by chatbot. Right, I'll just leave it there. All right. I got nothing else. Do you want to try for another AI joke? No, <laughs> no. I'm trying to be topical. And I'll, I'll, go, I'll go home. I'll get a bot to write a couple of them and see if they can be self-deprecating. That's when they know that they're smart. I wonder if there's enough audio that they can just do our voices now and then we don't have to do this anymore. We can try it for an episode. Oh, that's terrible. And we won't let you know. We'll see if you can spot it. <laughs> All three of you. Um, so... 
after JP plays an an exorbitant amount for the Pillar of Souls, which again was just a thing that was found from the Chenard Hospital and painted. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Like, did they just like do like a mat? Or, or do you think it's like rollers? Do you think it's a paintbrush? It looks very smooth. Or is it spray paint? Uh, looks like, like paint. paint. It yeah. looks. Um, it looked like a thick house paint. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, Maybe so, even some primer. Ooh. Oh God, yes. It's just primer paint. Mm-hmm. It's not even because that would cut into their bottom. Cut, cut into their bottom line. <laughs> um, so from there we cut to. Uh, budding TV news reporter Joey Summersgill, played by Terry Farrell of Deep Space Nine fame. Mm-hmm. And she is at the hospital emergency room reporting that there is nothing to report. This is the assignment she's been sent on by the station after doing a whole bunch of like kindergarten pieces or whatever, like yeah. pieces. Mm-hmm. Is they sent her to the hospital to hang out in the morgue in case anything... Or the ER. Well, the ER, but she's right next to the morgue, and... Is she next to the morgue? I don't know. I got that feeling. Maybe they were just saying all hospital parts look the same. Fair. Felt, but anyway. Um, but yeah, she's just, she's just waiting for she's literally waiting. anybody to show up at the hospital with any sort of situation in New York City. Yeah. It's yeah. just a completely... No, yeah, it's a nothing night there. Yeah, it's crazy. But so, as uh, her cameraman, played by Hulk Hogan, is uh, <laughs> t- is called away to an actual news story, uh, he leaves, and then all of a sudden, the story of the century shows up with this kid, or I say kid, he's probably in his 20s, uh, is covered in... In horrible, horrible chains, mm-hmm. he's being wheeled in from the from a, an ambulance. Alongside of him is Terry, played by Paul Marshall. This will get confusing as we discuss these characters mm-hmm. later, because we have Joey played by Terry and Terry played by Paula. I hate this. They yeah. just should have changed change the name. We will get it all mixed. Just should have changed the name. Yeah, um, I know we're so known for our ability to <laughs> stick to the facts, but <laughs> but so they get wheeled. Uh, the, the guy gets wheeled in. Joey makes her way to the operating room to find that all of the chains that that were dragging have come to life and are floating above him, pulling him in all sorts of different directions. Yeah, so also, sort of like the inverse of the Doc Ock scene in Spider Man. Yes. And uh, all but sorts predating of, it by a good 10 years. Sure. Uh, all sorts of electricity is shooting out, and then his head explodes. Yep. Good head pop. Good head explosion. We're not even 10 minutes into the film, mm-hmm. and we're exploding heads. We've got chains. We're doing Hellraiser. We're doing exploding well, Hellraiser. We've got head pop. We've got chains. We've never been told that the chains work like this at all because the chains typically disappear with everything else. Well, yeah. There's a whole lot in this movie of 
That's not what you said the rules were. Well, well, that's part, but that's part of the charm of this one is that all the rules are off because of where Pinhead and everybody were left at the end of the second gotcha. movie. The system's all broken. The system is all broken, so things are just working. Like mm-hmm. that's why I love the the image of the chains uh, being connect floating in the air, connected to nothing. It's like they're still trying to do the job. Yeah, but the system is not there for them to do yeah. the job right now. It seems your pl- your Pinhead's soul has broken. Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? For real. Just, you know, just jiggle it. Just jiggle it a little bit. Um, So, uh, the only thing that Joey gets out of Terry is that they met met in the boiler room. And that's it. Now, the boiler room is the name of this hip club. So hip. Um, it's hip enough that the second you walk in, blasting in your ears is the Soup Dragon's Divine Thing. Yeah. Which is a lot less goth industrial than the aforementioned Gravity Kills. Yeah. Uh, you get some Tin Machine on the soundtrack. We've got Motorhead. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Soup Dragon's was not one I thought would pop up on the soundtrack. No. But... I love that song. Yeah. It's also not the kind of song you would expect to hear at a goth industrial club with uh, morbid angels dancing in cages mm. yeah. and leather and spikes and flames coming off of things. But that's okay because if you walk far enough past the Soup Dragons, there is a live metal band playing elsewhere in the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... This isn't unheard of for New York clubs. Uh, Webster Hall famously had, like, every floor was a different venue almost. You could be the basement floor listening to reggae. The next floor up could be, like, 70s dance and soul. Mm -hmm. Then you go up another floor and it's a techno rave and there might be live bands off on a side. The place was not... It was nuts. I don't know what it's like anymore, if it's even still around. But back in the 90s, that place was nuts. And um, also, I feel like there were some limelight vibes off of this. Although, again, on a budget. What's the limelight? That was a New York club that was out of a church. Hey. There's documentaries about it. Okay. Yeah. I think um, some of them are fairly well. Try to remember... 24-hour... No, 24-hour party people was in the UK, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I remember the title. I don't, I don't I'm, I'm totally brain farting on. But there, there have been movies that, if not by name, or at least in spirit, set in limelight. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, shit was great. Show was great. Yeah. So anyway... So jo- this- Joey, played by Terry, is uh, wandering around the boiler room trying to find jo- uh, Terry, played by Paula... Uh, to find some sort of clue as to what in the hell just happened. And more importantly, can I have an interview and video so I can actually get out of this shit job mm-hmm. that she... I mean, she's on TV news. Well, arguably, but she wasn't even invited to go onto the news story that the cameraman went to. That's a good point. They sent the camera and not the reporter. Like, the cameraman even... the ca- Well, the cameraman's like, I got Joey here. He's like, oh, you have somebody else there already. Oh. Okay, I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> but anyway. It's just... It would have been nice to be asked. It's awkward. But here we get to see... Uh, 
our writer cameo, Peter Atkins, plays uh, the uh, the bartender who may or may not later become an alcohol-themed Cenobite. I know he my does. money's on not. Oh, he does. He does. shit. Okay, does. yeah. I didn't I'm take sorry. better notes. I'm sorry. Um, but so uh, this is how... Terry, played by Paula, eventually finds out about Joey, played by Terry, and uh, calls her up in the middle of the night because she needs to crash. And Paula Marshall is arguably the best actor in this movie. If Next you, to Doug. Yeah. If you've never met anyone who has been at the club all night and might be tweaking in some fashion or another, Ooh, yeah. then you might not know, you might not understand the nuance of this performance, but she's spot on. She's amazing. She is never, like, don't get me wrong, she, the script is the script, but uh, she never stays on one topic for more than two sentences max. Mm-hmm. She is never standing or sitting in the same place more than one piece of dialogue. Her hands are going in yeah. every direction all the time. And yeah. she's got this annoying uh, scene outfit so that everything mm-hmm. is clanking or jingling and mm-hmm. accentuating all of her movements. And she doesn't do the generic I'm on drugs like constant lick your lips thing, mm-hmm. but she definitely Definitely does do some like mouth work, like yeah. just little. Again, it's little subtle things of I'm trying not to be high right now, but eh, not nailed it. Yeah, she's amazing, and also she was the original Iris West on the old '90s Flash TV show. So I may have a soft spot in my heart for her. Yeah, even though she broke Barry's heart by dumping him on the first episode. We need to keep our superhero single. Yeah. To play up the romantic tension with Amanda Pays. <sighs> right? Paul Marshall, though. Mm. Um, so now uh, Joey, played by Terry, um, has a flashback to Vietnam, which she herself is not in. No. But her father died in Vietnam before they ever got to meet. Well, yeah, she was. he died over there while she was in utero. Yep. So um, she's just standing in the field as he's being gunned down, and the helicopters are showing up or leaving. They're just kind of there, they're hovering. They're, they're helicoptering. They're, they're putting out the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> they're like they're like we are definitely in Vietnam. We know we can't afford fortune and son. And that's how you really know that it's Vietnam. That's how you know it's Vietnam. That's the tell. That's the tell. Yeah. If you're ever out in the woods and you hear Fortunate Son, I apologize. You have found yourself in the Vietnam conflict. You need to take cover because the napalm is coming. Mm. But so Joey, played by Terry, uh, invites Terry, played by Paula, into her home and then, like, just keeps her there. Like, this is like. It would be insane enough just based on the fractured, frantic conversation where uh, Terry, played by uh, Paula, doesn't want to give any information that Joey, played by Terry, is trying to get. But then, then you have the next morning in which uh, Terry, played by Paula, is, as near as I can tell, intentionally trying to burn down the kitchen. Oh, it's a garbage breakfast. I'm going to hop back to one quick detail Um, after the Vietnam dream. When she wakes up, the photo that she has of her father framed from the war Mm. uh, or conflict 
is tucked <laughs> behind a fern to keep the Vietnam imagery going. Oh, it's yeah, just hidden yeah, just yeah. a little bit in the jungle of her apartment. But yeah, so now uh, he never got out of the jungle. He never got out of the jungle. That's terrible. So yeah, now uh, Paul is Terry is making breakfast like just there's a red onion cut in half I, I stand by nobody cuts a red onion, onion or uses a red onion unless you know what it is you just go with the white or yellow onion because onion at the store yeah so she's she's making some sort of a breakfast concoction that is burned all to hell it's just a pile in a cast iron skillet and she's reading a book that says microwave cookbook yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I know you were saying that Clive Barker didn't want the jokes in the movie. The jokes found their way in the movie. The, the jokes found their way into the movie. I mean, this is like there's smoke everywhere. There's the cast iron pot. It's on every conceivable surface of the kitchen. Oh, it's just, yes, it yeah. is insane. And I just these flags just keep getting redder and redder as the movie goes on. Mm -hmm. And Joey, played by Terry, is just like, no, no, we're like sisters now. I've always wanted a roommate in my wonderful two-story condo with a spiral staircase. Which is further evidence of her investigative reportering. Yeah. She's not quick on the uptake. Not quick on the uptake. Not good at uh, reading people. No. No. Uh, Follow-up questions. Well, she asked every conceivable question about the boiler, boiler room. Did she? What know? is the boiler room? Where is the boiler room? How is the boiler How room? How is the boiler room? <laughs> is the boiler room? I just it was just one. You, you got you got you got greedy. You got it. You got greedy. <laughs> so at this point, um, the uh, oh, so JP notices that there's a giant hole in his statue because dear Liza, uh, dear Liza. <laughs> what's that? Uh, just old song. Never mind. Fair enough. Uh, the, he notices the giant hole in the statue from where. Uh, Terry, played by Paula's buddy, had pulled, had like literally pulled the box out of the Pillar of Souls, and uh, he hear JP hears some scratching in there, reaches into the hole where something is obviously moving, like any smart person would with his bare hand, and uh, is immediately bitten by a rat. Starts flailing around, throwing blood everywhere, and notices that the blood that lands on the statue gets absorbed by the statue. Not a traditional feature. No, that's value added. But I, I, I still like we we have to enjoy these moments now uh, in ways that like we failed to in the early days of the uh, Amityville movies and like the beginnings of the Texas Chainsaw. The callbacks, the consistent motifs <laughs> that will be completely forgotten. By the time we get to the end of this, blood being a thing that yeah. resurrects people or yeah. reincorporates, re reincarnates. Yeah. We might be lost in the woods, but it still looks like Maryland. Exactly. Um, and so then we have a bunch of uh, Joey played by Terry and uh, Paula played or Terry played by Paula doing some investigating into the statue itself. And that's where we find out that it's all a big mm -hmm. uh, scam by homeless people. Yeah, but they they break into the art gallery slash pyramid investments pyramid gallery pyramid gallery, uh, which is not a scheme. Mm -mm, mm -mm. It's a gallery. 
And yeah, they're going through all the financials and basically looking at, okay, this is all just a ripoff, which New York art scene shocked. Um, art scene. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of scammies. Yeah. And uh, they find all of the notes from the Chouinard Institute yeah. on the configuration. These are things that usually go with a bill of sale, I guess. Sure, sure. Okay. It's, we we got to keep this plot going. We got to right, right, yeah. keep the movie moving. Right. They find enough. Uh, they find the instruction manual to their MacGuffin. Yes. Which is convenient. Most well, of the time, I you mean, just have this MacGuffin and you're just staring at it. Just and like, it's just we're moving it around. Some but. sort of a glowing briefcase or trunk or... Yeah. It's the rabbit's foot. Yeah. Love that. Ah, Mission Impossible 3. You were good. Um, but so, this is how uh, Joey, played by Terry, learns to uh, dig deeper into the Chouinard Institute and find out other stuff. Mm-hmm. But before... Uh, we get to that. We cut back to uh, JP in the boiler room. And in case we didn't know that JP was a scumbag before, he has a gag where he points out a girl that he would like to have sex with and has the uh, bartender, played by Peter Atkins, give her a rose as like a setup to, get, to yeah. hook her in. And this is years before The Bachelor was ever a TV show, so <sighs> women just had to assume that the rose meant something good. I mean... I mean, who's to say? There was no TV series that established this as a reward. That's a good point. That's a good point. So... It could just be... No, it's a rose. It's a fucking rose. Yeah. Anyway, but she still had questions about it. He goes over and explains this in case anyone in the audience was as naive as us young pre-bachelor folks when we saw this the original time. The, The actor playing the girl really has an annoying voice. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if she's putting it... She's, like, making it more kind of shrill and bubble-headed for the character. Or probably. I would hope so. But yeah. she does a very good job. Yeah. And she also does a decent uh, Groucho Marx... Uh, or, no, Chico, I guess it would be. God, wow. Uh, you cannot fool me. There is no nudity clause. No, yeah. So, she did not want... She, like, as it turns out, when it came time to fil- film her, her their sex scene, JP and her, uh, she did not want to do the nudity or as much of the nudity. So uh, Anthony Hickox, genius director, came up with the compromise. JP will just be cupping your boobs the entire time mm-hmm. that he is just angrily pounding into her. Anyway. It, it, it did not look like fun, that sex scene. <laughs> It looks like David Cronenberg had designed a Dance Dance Revolution type game. He's just holding on for dear life. There's a lot of flailing. There's a lot of just body gripping weirdness. Fair. Yeah. And in the background of this sex scene, Pinhead is rearranging himself in the pillar from being upside down to all the way uh, upstairs or up top. He doesn't have his pins yet, though. No. Those are coming when the girl gets a little too close to the statue, and then Pinhead just starts shooting hooks and chains out of it, the last of which coming right out of his mouth, and then, Mm -hmm. like 
pulling all of her skin off. The one comes out of the mouth, I think, gets her in the forehead, too. That's Yeah, that's yeah, the one that actually one. rips the skin yeah, off. And yeah, and just, like, basically yoinks it like a sock just straight into the yeah. tower. Uh, again, previous uh, rules are to be well, taken in by them. You have to willingly open the box. You have to have a desire and a... But, Rules are off. We're, yeah, we're there, there are no rules this time. Pinhead and Elliot. Elliot are yeah split now, so it's just evilness, which I don't. Again, it's confusing. I think it's got to be like he like when it's uh, bound to a soul, it's bound by rules. But since it's just free floating evil vibes now, it's whatever gotcha. it wants to be. Huh. But uh, fun fact that uh, the actor that didn't want to do the nudity in the uh, sex scene really didn't want to play the skinless version of herself. But Paul Marshall, big horror movie fan, was like, uh, somebody said, we need somebody to play the skinless girl. I'll play the skinless girl. Mm -hmm. And you actually can tell by the eyes that it's her. It's kind of nice. Or it's funny. Yeah, which is why we've had to call her Paula as Terry so much is because Paula as skinless is a completely different character completely different character but and we're it, not done with her no we're not no we are not well we're, we're, done, we're, we're not done with the, we're done with the with the blonde girl she she's now in the statue but here we get uh the first of three big monologues for or not more than three but the first big monologue from pinhead and I'm pretty sure this is the most we've ever heard him talk in one sitting between mm-hmm. the three movies. Like this is, yeah. it is finally officially the Pinhead show. Yeah, the Miramax or Dimension bought the Pinhead film series. You want to call it Hellraiser? Go with God. But you know we're here for Pinhead. God damn it! And he goes on. He does. Yeah, there's a lot of Pinhead esque uh, Bond Mots of wisdom. Ooh. And you're gonna hate me. I know it. I will. Well, he gets to the point we want him to put a pin in it. Oh. Yeah, it's... It goes on. There's nothing good about who you are or what you do. I'm just saying, a lot of the monologue starts to go to places that don't really relate to anything anymore. Oh, well, I, I think they're very in keeping of, like, a Clive Barkery monologue. Like, just talking mm-hmm. about, you know, no rules, just flesh... Let's just help me out, and you can have all of the fun on the planet Earth. Yeah, JP. It just, like, by about two-thirds in, it starts to feel more like a horoscope version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a fluffery. Yeah. all the while, JP is in his satin black uh, boxer shorts with... That guy was really put together. Like, he was pretty huge looking. You know? Worked out. That dude had packs. Yeah. So for a bar owner uh, in shape. Yeah. And... And rich. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, trust fund, so, yeah. And, but, well, yeah. and murder. And murder is parents. Yeah, he murdered right. his parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just kind of thrown into that monologue is when yeah. you murdered your parents, <laughs> you know. Right? That's never come up for him. I mean, it like can, he's it, a rich kid whose parents died suddenly. He inherited. All right, I'm sure the police had questions, and I'm sure he had answers. Yeah, it does connect a lot of dots, though. 
in terms of his personality, like his just, personality, like just yes. how bad he yeah. is. But um, Pinhead makes him the offer of just you know, give me another body, and uh, everybody. Then it's just all going to be you know, ice cream and bloody Sundays. Yeah. Uh, but so cut to. Uh, jo- Joey, played by Terry, is wa- is uh, finally getting her research from the Chenard Institute and gets to see a videotape of an interview with Kirsty Cotton. Special appearance by Ashley Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And I, like, how long was she in the Chenard Institute? Don't know. It felt like maybe two days, right? It was a pretty quick turnaround because then the whole thing blew up and got, yeah. Well, how long between that and that? Because it's like, And this video was before the incidents of all of it blowing up. So technically this video was pre-part two. So it didn't even know the rules of that that we learned along the way. Well, I don't oh. know. I don't know that it's pre-part two. I think it might be like during part two. Well, during, but not like pre-finale when a lot's learned in yeah. Elle itself. But we also know that uh, because there's ghost images of Elliot in that, and later on the TV operates on its own unplugged. So maybe the tape itself could have been supernaturally manipulated. Well, it is. Like Kirsty, the actual stuff Kirsty says are all consistent with what you would know. Uh, like a half hour into Hellraiser Part 2. Elliot, the ghost, is pushing himself into the video. Yeah, okay. I, for some reason, it's, I'm just putting that together now that when Kirsty was starting to say a little, it might have seemed out of sorts. Yeah, when she's talking about the demons, that's when Elliot kind of inter- gotcha. like, intercuts himself into it. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. Elliot, Captain Elliot Spencer was uh, the human... Part, the the human that who became Pinhead. We keep saying Elliot. You should have paid more attention during our last podcast. To be frank, if you're confused. Mm. But meanwhile, uh, Terry, played by Paula, is at uh, Joey, played by Terry's condo, because Ter- uh, Joey, played by Terry, has just invited Terry, played by Paula, to just live with her. In the ba- like in the spare room, and also she's gonna get her a job at the TV station because apparently she hates her life and wants everything yeah. to explode, and apparently has enough sway at the TV station to get her hired on the spot, maybe for one of those coveted on-air positions. Oh my god, wouldn't Did that you? be the funniest thing? Yeah, that would be the best. It's like she just has a more TV-ready look. Mm-hmm. We're gonna send her right out. There's a three-alarm fire. Oh, uh, you can you can hang back here and. Uh, why don't you do her paperwork for her? There's a gerbil convention that we think would be very cute for mm-hmm. you to cover while uh, yeah. Terry goes off yeah. and does the, the gangland story. Yeah. Apparently, it's going to have to be TV because newspapers don't like gerbil stories because of the way gerbils treat newspapers. I mean, I mean it's fair. not their fault. It, it, it is Look, a thing. It, it's what it is. It's a thing. It's, and there's bad connotations, even yeah. if it's not of necessarily. Course, of course, of course, of course, of course. But... Uh, Terry, played by Paula, is hanging out in the condo and notices that the uh, the box has shed all of the paint, mm-hmm. like and rock we, and whatnot. Yeah, and it's like literally just next to it on a table, and yeah. uh, it's like a little bit of broken like um, charcoal kind of around it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's kind of it's like the the dogs at the end of Ghostbusters. Yeah, that kind of thing. And so she's just about to play around with the box when JP calls and says, "Hey, baby, 
Netflix and hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Netflix and hell. I don't know. I, I it was harder. funny. I laughed harder <laughs> during the movie when you said it. That's fair. That's fair. Um, maybe we, we should do. No, we shouldn't do the commentaries again. That was just uh, a one-off thing. You can watch your own movie. Goddammit. Um, so JP is trying to get her to come over, and uh, as she at first rebuffs him, but then Doc, the cameraman, calls up and congratulates Joey, played by Terry, on her new gig in Monterey, wherever that is in reference to New York, California. As yeah. far as I know, fair enough. Uh, so dejected, angry. Uh, Terry, played by Paula, trashes the apartment, which this was always going to be how Mm -hmm. Terry, played by Paula, was going to work. It was already in the works at breakfast. Exactly. Uh, And goes over to JP's. And I don't understand how JP gets people into bed outside of this rose gag. He has money and there's abs. They're amazing abs. Um, Yeah. But he just keeps, like, the whole scene of him trying to just get her to walk in front of the statue Mm -hmm. is just painful. Like, because at this point, every other noise coming out of Terry played by Paula is just this mewling, whining thing. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the character because she is some sort of tweaker club person that is just, I mean, she has not drunk, drank water since 1985. Right. She is, she has barely slept. Yeah. She is dehydrated. Everything is terrible all she the is, time, unless you're giving me exactly what I want. Why can't you just do that for me right now? It's as if Parker Posey, Parker, Party Girl, never found the librarian route. Man. What if Parker Posey played Terry? Um, it would have needed some rewrites. What if we just cast Parker Posey as Terry and let her ad-lib all of her dialogue? Well, then, then I mean, this is the greatest movie yeah, ever made. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> but so, uh, when conventional wooing fails, uh, yeah. JP... And again, like, I mean, you're dead right... Okay, end of Wet Hot American Summer mm-hmm. when Showalter goes to his crush and she's like, look, I think you're great, you're wonderful, you're the smart choice, but I'm a teenage girl and he is really hot and so I'm just going to do that. We're probably going to have a lot of sex and it's going to be great and it's going to be wonderful and we'll never look at each other again and you'll probably be a regret. Like, that's the appeal. That's that guy appeal. The just, he's hot and he's a bad idea, and I know this is temporary. Got it. That's, but in this situation, this is now his not quite ex, but definitely like she knows he's been cheating. Yeah. And he's trying to essentially move her onto a giant cartoon X. Yeah. Without painting it specifically <laughs> on the floor. But yeah. she did accidentally look up and see the 16 ton weight right above where the X would have been. Exactly. So. Uh, he just starts hitting her and manhandling her and like dragging her by the crotch of her low of her hip hugger low ride pants. Mm-hmm. You have to understand, she's in a very not early nineties outfit with like it's kind of like a sequent halter top, showing off the midriff and very low yeah. pants. The pants are um, 
certain versions of April O'Neil from the Turtles, mm. where it's the sh- jean shorts that are both rolled at the bottom and the top. Yeah, no, she top. switched to pants at this point. It was pants at that point? Yeah. She was wearing the shorts in the apartment when the phone call came, but when she went over to the club, she switched to pants. Huh. For some reason in my mind, I'm picturing him grabbing her by those baggy oh, shorts. Oh, oh, no. They have, like, the same exact front. Okay. Then there yeah, you go. Yeah, All right. What, my bad. I, it's like a combination of I've watched this movie a lot, and I always stare at Paul Marshall. Gotcha. <laughs> but so, yeah, he's just, like, dragging her. But she somehow... Or she doesn't have her purse on her, so she pulls out of her back pocket a, a, a set of brass knuckles. Mm-hmm. Or, excuse me, that's not how you pronounce it. The Brass Knucks! WWE. JR. I didn't have enough, you know, Southern slant, Southern on it. My bad. My, I'm sorry. Um... And she nails him across the face with a left. And uh, he falls to the floor. And then we get Monologue 2, which is very similar to Monologue 1. But, you know, we cut and pasted the Mad Libs to make it fit for Terry played by Paul. And so, convinced, she... (laughs) Muling all the way tries to move a body that is, uh, what, like 180, 190? Probably. Yeah, and she is nothing. Uh, so, literally at one point is laying on the floor, kicking it, trying to push it with her feet <laughs> towards the tower. <laughs> and she's crying the entire time mm-hmm. because... Pinhead has promised that if he if she helps him, she'll give he'll give her the ability to dream, because Terry played by Paula apparently does not dream. She does say that to Joey to Joey played by Terry earlier in the film, and that that yeah. that's her motivation. I want an inner life, a dream world, and it's like maybe if you slept, yeah, like yeah, at all, just a day off of speed. Give it a it's not going to be good dreams. You're not going to like them. You've got a lot of backlog in there. A lot of stuff to work yeah. through. Yeah. Like, if you do speed or, you know, whatnot for that long, it's like coming back from a week's vacation and checking your email at work. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's the kind of dreams you have when you come off of uh, I hate how good that metaphor is. Yeah. Anyway. So... She manages to finally get him within Pinhead's range range of influence, and man, like JP, like wakes up just in time to look up. It's a really great low angle shot of seeing Pinhead looking down on him, and then Pinhead just slaps these pistons into his skull, mm-hmm. and it's this weird. So all of the all of the 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 the, the uh, hair suit. Cenobites in this film have themes, except for him. I think maybe because of him being a Lothario, um, the pistoning, the the closest thing I I, I, th- I like that. Uh, the only other thing is like you do see him threaten Pinhead with this gigantic nickel plated uh, Desert Eagle. Uh, gun, and but he just flat out shoots him three times. Oh, he shoots him three times, but I'm thinking just like the way it's always just kind of uh, pistoning kind of reminds me of the gun 
the 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 gun mechanism a Possibly. little bit. I don't know. Like it's, it's so it's ill defined with this guy. And then there later, was an idea. There was definitely an idea. Yeah. It did not get all the way out to us. Yeah, it's like this thing that is perpetually motoring and firing mm-hmm. off. But then later he has these like uh, collapsible batons as his weapons because. Yeah. Whatever, but so that's the that that so he's in trouble. Pinhead uh, emerges from the pillar of souls with uh, no less than what five hundred gallons of goo. A lot of goo. It's a lot of goo. Like you wouldn't think. You, you would think like the statue could just break apart into you know the charcoaly type of stuff yeah. or ash or it's like nope. It's all goo. Hell goo. All hell goo. Uh, meanwhile, Joey, played by Terry, is having yet another Vietnam dream, which mer- which morphs into a World War One dream, and thus we get to have a conversation with Captain Elliot Spencer and, and a whole lot of flying body parts. Dude, I really never noticed before. Like the World War One sequence is brutal. Mm-hmm. Like body parts are flying up in the air and coming down on people like penguins in a Muppet sketch. Yes. It's amazing. Like, you would, like, in any other thing, it would be, like, a throwaway thing where, like, explosion, things go goes away. But then the shot lingers, and then it comes back down. Yeah. Just, just, like, watching a torso just come down and bounce off of somebody's head. And, like, it came down on its head. Yeah. It's just terrible and amazing. Really enjoyed this. <laughs> Honestly, this whole sequence, this whole conversation is, like, the least intelligible believable whatever the word is where like elliot breaks down the whole thing at the at the end of number two uh he got separated from the evil persona of pinhead which was always just him right and now pinhead is out and about uh baby's day out uh no rules whatever he wants Mm -hmm. the only way to bring him back is to trick him into going through this win- this window in uh, Joey played by Terry's apartment slash mind. And the only way to get him to do that is to bait him with the lament with the Hellraiser box, which uh, is the only thing that can actually hurt him or send him back, but that he cannot touch. Unless it is given to him freely. Right. So vampire rules on touching it slash time bandit rules um, on the instantaneous pain. But also, Elliot's not in hell. Elliot is in the dream of all wars. Yes. This is a realm. That's how he was able to cross over from his experience in World War One to the Vietnam experience of her father that she was not present for. (laughs) The dream of all wars connects all. The dream of one war is the dream of all wars. That's the line, which I got to admit, I do like that line. I like that line. And that concept should be done somewhere Outside of a throwaway tether, yeah, in in a movie like this, yeah, no, this there, is like, that could this have is been like, a whole thing. This is like a Sandman issue, yeah, or something like that, like yeah, or like a Clive Barker novel, yeah, for that matter. This that could be a whole separate Hellraiser movie, yeah, but it's a throwaway line, yeah. The desires of suffering and the desires of war, the desire, like all of that combined, and like maybe like. 
take the ending of uh, Wonder Woman and tie that back to the Cenobites, who could have made it. Anyway, no, 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 no. I know, like that, that, that idea. No, I think yeah. you're right. No, I, I thought that was good. It's just oof, linking Hellraiser with the Wonder Woman movie. It'd be weird. It would be weird. It would be weird. But anyway, um, see so yeah. uh Pinhead's Oops. out and about. He decides to go out on the town, and well, so first things first, we have to kill. Every single person in the boiler room. Uh huh. And man, we kill Vin see. Diesel, kill Ben Affleck, kill Giovanni <laughs> Ribisi. Get them all. <laughs> Did anybody ever actually watch that movie? I know the names off of the cover. Yeah, exactly. No, I remember the trailer, I remember the cover, but did anybody actually watch that movie? I remember people saying they watched it. I never yeah. got around to it. No. Honestly, Rounders. Never saw that one either. You've never seen Rounders? There was just a bundle of those getting the gang together kind of... No, that's not Rounders. There's Rounders a... Is, a, is the poker movie, right? Or, um, yeah. It's cards. Well, yeah, but other than Matt Damon and Ed Norton... I'm saying, like, the, the that, block that, casting that, in that era, uh, Suicide Kings fell into that. Like, there see, was Suicide Kings, that's a boiler room situation. That I agree. Okay. Well, having not seen them, I, I can't speak yeah. on it. Oh, no. I, yeah. I'm going by the poster and how they lined the cast up. Yes. It looks like this. I'm like, I think that's going to be a bunch of douchebags being douchebags for two hours. I will watch something else right now. Oh, no. That's fair. No, it's just amusing because... Uh, the only quote unquote young people in the movie are Matt Damon, Edward Norton, and Gretchen Maul. And everybody else are grown ups. Like, even Famke Jansen is considered a grown up in the movie. Huh. Uh, higher position of power, but it's like John Malkovich, John Turturro, Martin Landau, and uh, a handful of other like New York regulars. So it's just that's why it was just funny because yeah. it's only two of those like the hunky pretty boy types. Gotcha. All right. Well. Oh, for Malkovich alone. Marketing. For Malkovich alone, you need to watch Rounders. It All is. Right. It is really something. So I love Malkovich when he's awake. Oh. He's awake. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> and that was another thing, I think, that hit right around the time of, uh, was it Portrait of a Lady? Okay. Which, um, it was like mid to late 90s, and his performance in that, maybe it's worth a rewatch. I remember thinking it was the laziest I had seen him, like, so phoned in. Hmm. At least to my ears, like he Ben uh, Kingsley in the name of the king, like never even gets up from his chair. Lazy. <laughs> this is funny. I was listening to We Hate Movies, and they listened to old from episodes from twenty twenty when they celebrated Brim's Giving. It's like for November, they just watched nothing but uh, Wilford Brimley movies. <laughs> And yeah, I know, I know. It's episodes five seventeen through five twenty. It's worth the the go, the go back and listen. And uh, one of the things that when when they're coming up with their rating system for uh, how good of a Wilford Brimley movie is this is like, does he ever stand up? <laughs> Fair. He stands up in the thing. He does. Stands up in Cocoon. Yeah. Doesn't stand up in Remo Williams. The adventure begins. I'd never heard of it either. Oh no, I know the movie. I just I never noticed that. Yeah, he's always yeah. No, that, that movie. Just sitting. 
while a fun movie problematic. I watched the trailer and I'm like, who's this guy playing the? And then I looked that's it up. That's Oscar like, winner no, John Gray. Oh God. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a, that's a never. That is a, that is a, that is that 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 is an unfortunate. And he commits to the role. Sure. He is a professional. Sure. The problem is before we ever got to that point. Yes. It's the pro- Well, the only thing you can lay at Joel Gray's feet is he said yes. This is also true. And, mm. Anyway, a uh, lot of good deaths in the spoiler room. Yes, like you get to see Billy from Gremlins. Blink and you'll miss Barely. it. Barely. You, we yeah. rewound it multiple times. I'm still like I'm taking your word on it. It is him. Yeah. I, I promise it's yeah. him. But yeah. I'm, like I'm not saying it. Lo- I didn't look like him. I'm just saying it's that fast that we rewound it multiple times. And yeah, but he's squeak. He gets and he's because he was buddies with Anthony Hickox at this point from from the Waxworks from the Waxworks. But um, yeah, he gets stabbed. All of the I love how like they had set up all the goth uh, architecture and. Uh, art like little sculptures and everything uh earlier in the film and now they're all coming to life yeah because little gremlins yeah <laughs> it's, you know uh yeah we get uh somebody's face is stuffed with pool balls like george oh, went in the mash episode yep um we got the the, the <laughs> A uh, lot of chains. A lot of people getting lot nailed of by chains. chains. A lot of chains. We see the beginnings of the Barbie and uh, CD Cenobite, yep. which is great. Like Peter Atkins, the bartender, like starts getting covered in barbed wire. Now I get it. Because he's a Barbie. I don't like it. You don't? What about CD, <laughs> the CD Cenobite, who gets like five, CD, five or six CDs shoved into his head? Yeah. Basically, somebody saw I come in peace and had a nightmare. Yeah. And woke up with some designs. Uh, a lot of people just getting stuff lopped off. Faces ripped off. Guy gets a hook. Like, he catches the chain with a hook. Then the hook yeah. just yanks back and takes his fingers off. Here you go. And it's it still barely looks like him. Even with the still frame you're showing me right now. Uh, wow. It is him. Oh, I, I, again, I believe you entirely. Yeah. It's just like such a fast. And it, it, it's we, quick. Yeah. It's real quick. Um, and, uh, and then there's the ice in this one woman's drink flies up. And in some uh, some real bad early '90s CG, morphs into hell, Pinhead's face, and then turns into a spike and embeds itself in her mouth. Yeah, among other things, it gets great because you see everybody like is running, trying to get to the exits. Pinhead is closing all the exits right before they get there, like mm-hmm. really dragging it out. But then when we get to the last exit. The doors are closed, and we the camera angle flips to outside the closed doors, and you start seeing the pool of blood leak out through the door, and it's great because it's uneven. Like yeah. it's never just like this uniform thing. You can hear like, it. oh, blood is coming. Like like the blood tap was left on. Yeah, exactly. It's like you keep hearing all the sound effects of everything, and like whenever there's like a particularly bad sound effect, an, a different slot like slide comes out. Yeah. On, like on a different side of it. This is like it felt very real and terrible and yeah. awful. But now Joey has been called into action and calls her faithful candy man or her faithful cameraman Doc. Mm-hmm. Oh, you actually. Um, 
to do a hopback, you would know you would remember this right after we started the movie that uh, this movie came out right at the same time as yes. Candyman. Yeah, same year, ninety-two. Yeah. So Clive was split detail between the two. Yeah, he would be like promoting both of the movies at the same time. The uh, the big book of uh, the Dark World's book that I keep citing actually has an excerpt from an interview where he's comparing and contrasting Hellraiser three and Candyman, and speaking of both of their qualities well. Like he's saying, it's like uh, Hellraiser is supposed to be like the low budget, grand guignol, shocker, schlock, just all sorts of action, whereas Candyman is the more introspective like the subtext is everything and it's great that we have all of these things happening. I'm not telling you I have a favorite child, but I'm telling you I have a favorite child. Honestly, he really does come off as liking both. Okay, gotcha. Like it, it's just yeah, but like, yeah. Well, this one's the you know the cheap you know matinee, but this one's the intelligent one. I love them both, but also there's a little I don't know. Hellraiser three. This is the quote. Uh, uh, I love the fact that material that originated from the same mind can result in pictures that are stylistically so different. Uh, Hellraiser three is a brightly colored special effects heavy gross out which I had a good time with, Candyman is the reverse of it, very low on special effects and high on shock and subtext. I always loved variation. It's one of the few things that makes life worth living. Okay. Uh, Candyman is a, is a, it continues, Candyman is a very classy package. Hellraiser 3 is a very different proposal. The Hellraiser movies are low-budget shockers, which go into profit after the first weekend and manage to put some images on the screen, which uh, you would not see in any other movie. They are not art pictures by any stretch of the imagination, but they are grand guignol and excessive, and I like that. And they're poppy. I mean, they're fun pop culture. They have a kind of hold on the imagination, which is very different from the hold that the candy that Candyman has. But when you see Hellraiser movies with an audience that's revved, you really have a great time at the picture, and you come away with some wonderfully disturbing imagery at the end. All right. Very, so, like, I don't. Yeah, I, I that's, that's, that fair. feels more heartfelt than diplomatic. Cool. Yeah. 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 No, I. If, so if I was going been, off. I was going off to the pocket size. Oh yeah. yeah. No. Nine times out of ten, it would have been yeah. the usual. Just like I love this movie, mm-hmm. and I am not. There is nothing off camera making me say this these mm-hmm. words right now. But uh, no, I, I think definitely for this one. Uh, We'll get into the next one when we get into the next yeah. one. The next one was basically his last major mission statement on trying to get this mm. the franchise together. But yeah, that'll be next. That'll episode. be next week. Um, um, okay, so I took you away from that. No. All right. So Jerry or Joey, played by Terry, uh, shows you up. Just start calling her Jerry. I should just call her Jerry. And then it's going to be Gary, <laughs> Gary, and then Larry. Yeah. Then he'll be the mayor. Uh, so Joey, played by Terry, shows up, and we get another. Pinhead monologue. <laughs> Which, I, I'm making fun. Doug Bradley nails all of these monologues. I see what you did there. Oh, I did not <laughs> mean to do that. You, I caught you in a pun. You, you took what I did, and now you've made it dirty and wrong. It was already dirty and wrong. I just ran it under the sink. Oh. But anyway. Uh, oddly enough... Pinhead's rap does not work on on Joey played by Terry. No. What with, you know. Man, it's like a good five or six minutes of her walking through the piles. Actually, you know, I'm just figuring this out. This is her war. She's fine. This, 
yeah. She's been walking through her dad's war. She's been walking through Elliot's war. She's finally at her war with all the bodies and all the, the mangling and Mrs. Member and uh, all strewn about. Hmm. Is Hellraiser 3 better than we think it is? I mean, I definitely do did enjoy it a lot more than I remembered it. Oh, that's in. good. I had I, honestly, I remembered being let down by um, uh, some of the lighting, some of the effects, and just again the this doesn't really seem to go along with the other two movies. Oh, it missed. doesn't. We have explosions now. Yeah. We have lights. And we have Pinhead in Daylight. And we have Pinhead in Daylight coming, but we have happening pretty much right um, in the club into the streets outside. The aforementioned additional Cenobites in this movie. Oh boy. This time, instead of them just being <laughs> visions of unspeakable, unknown horror of... Eh, they're basically uh, Smurf or He-Man Cenobites. Yes. Give them a name with a single characteristic. It's Grumpy Smurf. It's CD Cenobite. It's Video Camera Cenobite. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Stink or it's Pile Driver Cenobite. Yes. But I, in keeping it with uh, horror movies of the time, I would compare it a bit more to uh, your later Nightmare on Elm Streets and Friday the 13th, where it's like the character has one character trait and they will be murdered ironically with it. Yes, very much that. But action figure wise, yes. And it's, 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 that's the thing is, and it's pre. McFarlane's monsters of, you know, Clive Barker's tortured souls of, you know, well, I mean, McFarlane did Clive Barker figures. Yeah. Including Hellraiser figures. Mm-hmm. I, there was, was it, were they NECA? No, so, they were all NECA. They were all NECA? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought that McFarlane had done a series and then years later. Yeah, I, I, um, like, it's surprising that, like, they, McFarlane must have just missed it. Because, gotcha. like, I remember the original Pinhead figure was NECA for Cult Classic. Or no, I, they had the one. It was Cult Classic. So yeah. they started with Cult Classic, and then they did a separate yeah. Hellraiser line mm-hmm. on its own as NECA, yeah. which was former sculptors for McFarland. <laughs> I think it was because McFarland couldn't clear the movie rights, so they just said, why don't you design new characters and a story oh, to totally. go with it. Yeah, the Tortured Souls. Yeah, yeah, Tortured yeah. Souls to just avoid licensing. Oh, definitely. Right. Definitely. Because, like, you could put the Tortured Souls figures next to Hellraiser figures and they would they would all work. work yeah, they did. Like they're all coming, going to the same party. Yeah. Um, but so now, uh, Joey is on the run. And, sorry. <laughs> and Todd McFarlane loves chains, so it was a match made in heaven. Todd McFarlane does love chains. So now Joey, played by Terry, is running through downtown New York and not Greensboro, North Carolina. I don't know what you're talking about. Side Street. <laughs> yeah. What is it? We're 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 in the we're in the part of Manhattan that's luckily nowhere near any of the major skyscrapers. Yeah. Or tall buildings at all like you're talking like three maybe four stories in this low rise part of Manhattan I love how like at the beginning of the movie you just looked at like the big uh, establishing sh- establishing shot and said it's like oh look Mattsburg 
That was pretty Which, good. I'm going to stand by it. Like, yeah, that, that was gonna, good. Like, from now on, like a, a fake-looking town, it's Mattsburg. Mattsburg. Oh, and we were also, before we started recording, commenting on the uh, still image on HBO. Uh, we didn't yeah. watch it on HBO just because the 93-minute cut there is the same cut as everything except uh, the Arrow Special Edition, which is not U.S. available. No, it's a region. It's a European region. Yeah. Which, God damn it. Yeah, they've got the 97-minute extended cut. Anyway. Bastards. <coughs> there are apparently boobs in that one. <laughs> there's sort of boobs in this one in the in the club. Like, yeah. There's a lot of there's side, there's a lot and, of side yeah. boobs. <laughs> um, but you had pointed out that this the teaser image yeah. in Head's eyes are... Blue. Blue. Uh, yeah, he does not... Like, not only are they... Like, it's not that they... De- like put them as a different color. He's not wearing the opaque contacts at yeah, all. The oversized pupils. Because it's not just that his eyes are all black. Like his pupils tend to be a little bigger than depends on the not pupil. I mean well, Iris. yeah. Um, yeah, but like corny and all. Yeah. yeah. Well this was the for uh, the behind the scenes stuff was kind of fun. Apparently uh, this version of the makeup was easier to take on and take off, but conversely was more uncomfortable to wear. Uh, during it but uh, this was the first time that Doug was able to get prescription opaque black contacts so ah. it was easier for him to keep the contacts in longer because they were at least his prescription gotcha so nice funny. But, uh, and what I had noticed about the teaser image was the skyline behind Pinhead. Mm-hmm. And if you want to pull it back up to look, um, it's basically the Trumbo logo. Oh, my God. It's a Trumbo logo. Yeah. Yeah. Like. No, with the red and everything. Yeah. It's it's the Trumbo logo. It's just what it is. Now I hear the Trumbo music. <laughs> I mean, the, the sunset, the way it up, yeah. If that is not specifically that image. I don't think it's specifically that one, but the look of it is exactly the trauma. It's literally just missing <laughs> trauma team releasing. Lloyd Kaufman presents the trauma team And Michael Hers present Pinhead. Troma's pin, Troma's Hellraiser movie. That would be fun. That would be gooey. That would be very gooey. That would be gooey. But so, uh, Joey, played by Terry, is running a gauntlet down this one street, and all of the uh, imitation Cenobites are doing their one gag. Uh, we have a pit, the CD one throws CDs. They're not even like. Saw blades or anything. They're else. not They're saw blades. CDs. He doesn't inject them out of his mouth or anything. He literally just throws them like shuriken. Yep. Uh, he does make thwip, thwip. He does make machine noises, which I guess is a thing. Yeah. You know, he's just like. But machine noises like the guy from Grandma's Boy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not great. Uh, Barbie has a, a shaker full of gasoline and can shoot fire out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And then Doc. Poor Doc became the cameraman zombie because he's got a lens where one of his eyes should be. And he can control TVs mm-hmm. and he shoves the lens. He extends the lens out of his head and shoves it through another guy's head. Yeah. We don't know how the TV powers work. Well, we don't know how any of the powers work. We know how the lens <laughs> through the head works because it's just boop. Yeah, but um, it's basically the alien gag. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, CD throws CDs. He just he could have done something like with sound, you maybe, know, like to torture. Or, he could have again shot CDs. Could have shot CDs, like the old uh, uh, turtle van shooting out the uh, the, right, the manhole the covers. Yeah, the manhole the covers. Yeah. Uh, um, no, no. He could have squished people, made a compression joke. He, there was so many things he could have done. Besides, he throws CDs. He throws CDs. He throws CDs. He never throws them at her. He throws them at like this other guy, the cab yeah. driver. He never throws them at the cops. He throws them at yeah. But and then oh, he's got because they want aim. Well, because they're not trying to kill her. Because they can't kill her. Oh, gotcha. Okay, right. right. Never mind. Um, but yeah, it's he's throwing CDs like stripe at the end of Gremlins, throwing the saw blades. Yeah. Um, you got another one. That's getting Watanabe and Gremlins two saying I am a camera. Basically, we have Grem- we have a Gremlins two situation in our Hellraiser three. Yes, and also you you haven't been I haven't been able to show you yet, but I found I got Spider Gremlin. Oh, nice! Yeah, we'll take a look at that later. Uh, the neck I, 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 is that the old one. This the necker one. Like the, the one from a couple years ago? Yeah. Yes, I, do have, I have one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have uh, the spider gremlin and the brain gremlin. Dear God. Because I had to. He's fucking huge. I know. Like, I was not expecting him to be as massive as he is. But, yeah. well, you know, it's a spider, so it's like it's the legs, but he takes up a lot of room. But yeah. He's amazing. Anyway, um, so after Joey, played by Terry, makes it through the gauntlet, she desperately goes into a church and is... You know, in the priest's defense, mm-hmm. when she says the demons are chasing after her, and he tries to assuage her fear, saying that demons don't really exist and mm-hmm. that it's all a metaphor and everything, nine times out of ten, correct, he is right. Yeah, it's it is the rarity to hear people of any religious convictions say, no, 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 it's just a metaphor. Yeah. We're trying to help people. Yeah. This is a story but for actually, the purposes a- thereof, and people keep taking it too seriously, yeah. which is honestly speaking to how I've been reacting to a lot of the continuity of these movies. Thank you, movie. I get it now. <laughs> this is why we sound these things out. We have a whole conversation. My apologies. Welcome to our se- our, our weekly session about horror movies that confuse and anger us. Um, so she says they're not. He says they're not real. And then she, when the door opens behind them, she and the music swells. She correctly asks, "Well, then, what the fuck is that?" Yeah, best line of the movie. It really is it, one of the best lines of the franchise. Uh, like. I like. I, I think Terry Farrell is incredible on Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. as Jadzia Dax. I am more than willing to chalk this up to she's an underwritten character in this film, but mm-hmm. Terry Farrell is not really that much of a presence in this movie. She's on screen a lot. She is, but yeah, there's her. Ca- nobody, she doesn't have a character. Yeah, like, I don't think it's her. I think it's yeah. the character. We're the only returning character. We're really supposed to be invested in is Pinhead because it's the Pinhead show now yeah Pinhead's not even entirely Pinhead Pinhead is quite specifically behaving differently because of being split from the course so I think that's a lot of why this just didn't work Mm. is because you have no real familiar characters from the previous ones you know the only character coming back is very specifically decidedly different 
Yeah, and or depowered in weird ways. Right. So, yeah. You're well, not giving us Hellraiser. Yeah. Well, this is why, like, for the longest time, my rankings were, like, a 2 one four, three. Yeah. Because, uh, and we'll get to 4 later. You have to under... We'll get to 4 later. But, and like... Chronology, three, that's how But, like, yeah. <laughs> but, but not for Hellraiser 4. Well, damn it. Right? There is that. But, um... Uh, it just, this felt like the weakest entry of the bunch before the direct video guys started mm-hmm. up. And, um... I, st- I still think so. I, you know, honestly... I'll find out next week. But fair. Uh, I don't think it is, uh... I, I, if only because the bombast and the silliness kind of work. Like, this is our big American movie. Yeah. Like, because explosions and everything. And then we get to this part with uh, Pinhead uh, in one of the more iconic Hellraiser moments, mm-hmm. uh, shoving the stuff off the altar, recreating the crucifixion scene. Yeah, and pull, saying, pulls two of his own pins out. <laughs> And gives himself stigmata, like brain worms, you yeah. know, like parts of his brain sticking to the <laughs> nails like worms. <laughs> shoves them through the palms of his hands, so all you diehard Catholics know that's incorrect. I mean, if you're a diehard but, Catholic, you're not watching this movie. Anymore. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> but, um... Yeah, gives himself stigmata, and... Yeah. I am the way... And then fastball starts it, playing. It, it, I mean, yes. Uh, it's fun if you went to Catholic school for any period of time and no longer, you know, subscribe. Yeah. Uh, but then we get, like, one of the grossest moments of the entire film for me is when he, like, pulls just a piece of his own meat out of, like, one of those open wounds and shoves it into the priest's mouth. It's just like, oh, Jesus, my body and my blood. Happier those who come to my seppa. I've seen this before. Um, but then we finally get to the, the like the second the, the penultimate confrontation where Joey, played by Terry, runs away again. And because uh, that's the only move she's got until she gets him to her apartment <coughs> slash window slash brain. I don't mm-hmm. understand how this is supposed to work. Um, so the window is in her mind, which as it, which is how it turns out. But she ends up at a construction site where she meets Piston. Cenobite, played by who is JG, oh, yeah, and uh, Dreamer Cenobite. She is called the Dreamer Cenobite, and that's uh, uh, Terry, played by Paula, is now all Cenobited up. And her thing is Dreamer, she, played by Paula now. Dream, Dreamer, played by Paula, excuse me. Uh, her thing is she has cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, sticking out of the hole in her throat, like uh, deeper. Yeah. Mm. And or like a person who had their lang- larynx removed. Yeah. Uh, and so she's so she is just kind of putting her cigarettes out on Joey played by Terry and uh, Piston Cenobite is just kind of just making a lot of lewd noises at her and yeah. then starts kinda hitting her with the circulating. batons. Yeah. Circling. Circling. Uh, circling. Circling. Yeah. But then Pinhead shows up and then just throws them all under the bus. Like he's like shadows. Do you like my new uh, my new creatures or whatever? Shadows of my former compatriots. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. dude, yeah. we're trying. We've only been on the job ten minutes. Yeah. But even Pinhead's like, um, I don't think this is working. This is not great. It just understand. doesn't feel like us. No. But then uh, 
Joey, played by Terry, futzes with the box, and we get a new gag where the center, the central circle at the top of the Hell the Hellraiser box comes up like a cylinder and zaps everybody back, mm-hmm. and then like, she, like a like a ghost trap, like a ghost trap, ah, Ghostbusters. We mentioned it a few times. We do. We love Ghostbusters. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, it sucks up all the uh, Cenobites. Everything is fine. Hey, hunky dory. And then Joey is transported to her Vietnam dream, mm-hmm. and uh, me gets to finally ah, meet up with sweet, relaxing Vietnam. Sweet, relaxing Vietnam. <laughs> so she meets up with her her, her, her with her dad ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not ghost, ghost dad. Not ghost we dad. Must be very clear on yeah, that. Yeah, it's a dad. It's a dad ghost, and uh, he says, "It's like, oh, I'm so happy to finally meet you." And heaven is awesome. Also, Pinhead told me to get you the box. Give me to grab the box. Wait, did I say Pinhead said to give me the box? I, I mean, just said I'm a thing. Pinhead. There was a thing uh, like Peter Potamus on Harvey Birdman. Did I get that thing that you were sent oh. to give me? <laughs> so Joey gives him the box, and it turns out to have been Pinhead the entire time. Some the lock exactly, and as he's preparing to torture the shit out of her for all of eternity, he always uses like like forever eternity. It's just mm-hmm. like you know after ten after ten years, I'm probably not going to care as much about what's left of my eyes being stepped on again. Yeah, I mean, always yeah. Like, you're going to get into a rut. I'll always remember that first time. Exactly. But anyway. Um, But then Joey, played by Terry, realizes that, oh, we're in the dream. We're already here. Somehow. For reasons. And uh, Elliot shows up. And then we have the big standoff between Captain Elliot Spencer and his darker impulses. This was real. Like, this is no end of Superman 3. It is not. Uh, for good and for ill. <laughs> and uh, uh, they end up just kind of merging together without a lot of fanfare. Yeah. Uh, good physical effects. Like, when they're so, doing, like, the, <laughs> the heads tangled together. Right. The prosthetic effects are good, but yeah. the um, the digital effects look a lot more funhouse mirror-y. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of, like, we can, ta- we can take a picture and distort it, but we can't really create yeah. a lot. We've got warp filters, bubble filters, but, yeah. Yeah. And this uh, this movie is the first one to feature Gary Tunnicliffe working on some of the makeup and uh, definitely creating the boxes. His name will become more and more important as the series progresses. But it's important to note this is where Gary got on board. Um, and while uh, Elliot and Pinhead are having their uh, tête-à-tête, yeah, while they're time copping each other, out. while they're time copping each other. Uh, Joey, played by Terry, is in, you know, proto-bond, or proto-Cenobite gear. Like, she's in bondage, but it's like, are we turning her into a Cenobite, too? We're just going to mess with her a lot. It's, uh, you know, not sure yet. But, man, that thing that comes out of the ground. And that's the thing. It's like, there's some sort of a, hard to tell what it is, but it's got knives and spinny things and And goo sticks and a lot of goo and a lot of interestingly colored goo. A lot of cloudy goo. Yeah. It's it's not great. This was one of the scenes you said Clive put put in. in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know. (laughs) 
Well, honestly, like the movie is much less memorable without it. True. <laughs> I'm just saying, like Cl- he has an aesthetic sometimes. Clive has Clive has things about things. Yeah. Um, you could say the same about H.R. Giger, and you'd be correct. Yes. Georgia O'Keeffe, you'd be correct. You ever see that video of Giger daintily, like, uh, like kind of trotting and protecting his ice cream? No. It's just this weird. Like he's trying. Like he. Like he's walking, and he finds like a puddle or something, and he just kind of trots around it, and it's. It's dainty and adorable in a weird, you know, biomechanoid sexy times way. Hmm. Um, but so now that Pinhead is complete again, uh, since the uh, he they man he managed to get the uh, pick of destiny away from Tenacious D, mm-hmm. uh, it is up to Joe Joey, played by Terry, to play the greatest rock song ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, if only. Uh, it takes like Captain. It takes Elliot Spencer somehow morphing his head back into Elliot's head from Pinhead's head to say, "Hey Joey, why don't you use the box, mm-hmm. you idiot?" Remember the thing we told you to grab and hold on to that you didn't hold on to, and now that it's already fixed your problem for you, just just turn the thing off. Just turn. Just. Just get the lights when you're done. Oh, my God. Literally just, you have one job. You could leave. You've had one job. This time, we would like you to do it. Can't, couldn't find your way out of a paper bag. Uh, so Problem jo- solvers. That's who gets the puzzle boxes. <laughs> yes. Again, it just, it, it, oh. That's why it's not my favorite. I I think it's a fun movie. I yeah. think outside of the franchise, it's an enjoyable, ridiculous, big horror movie. Uh-huh. But when you put it up against the rest of the series, it just doesn't match. That's completely fair. I still like it. But um, That's what I liked it, too. I know, I know, I know. I know. I know. We're still friends. <laughs> About this. Other things, you're dead to me. Hey, that lot. So Joey manages to solve the box in time and turn it into the uh, the more uh, the longer diamond configuration from mm-hmm. the second film. Stabs Pinhead in the heart, and this zaps him back. The box resolves itself into just the cube, and then we're back in New York. I mean North Carolina. I mean Mattsburg. <laughs> And Joey, played by Terry, has the uh, the brilliant idea of shoving, uh, of sticking the Hellraiser box into some wet cement in the building that they're going to be building. <laughs> Wipes her hands off and shrugs and moves to Monterey. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile... Where there's actually reporting work. Where there's actual reporting work. Although that phone call was a fake... Was it? I think that was the point. Was because she was supposed to feel betrayed by. Yeah. It. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. I think it was supposed to be. Um, yeah, I think it was a fake call. So she's going to get to Monterey, and there's no job. Oh, that's awesome! The greatest trick the devil ever played. Yeah. Was a fake interview. Was turning into the cameraman Cenobite. Uh, so she wipes her hands. The whole thing. And then we cut to an unspecified time in the future where the building has been completed and the entire foyer is the Hellraiser box! What? And then Motorhead starts playing. And all's right with the world again. I mean, 
It is definitely the we- weaker in comparison to Hellraiser one and two, combined yeah. or separately, uh, yeah. or like individually. Uh, it does not hold a candle, but it is a great early '90s special effects. Uh, yeah. Outside uh, of the franchise, I think it's a blast. That's fair. Within the franchise, just does not line up. It, it must have been like really jarring for the people watching, like what following the movies in real time, to like you know different thing with the first one continuation of the different thing mm-hmm. we're doing freddy krueger shit now yeah <laughs> i i saw this in the theater when it came out and i was my friends we were all just you told us we were gonna get hellraiser but on earth yeah really the first two did take place in large chunks on earth so we already had that. That's that's like how you unmask Jason in each movie. Mm-hmm. You've unmasked him. We've seen it. Yeah. Like, it's still somehow a big moment. Like, oh, I heard they're going to unmask him in this one. But they've done that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it just, all of the elements that we liked of the other Hellraisers weren't in this movie. That's fair. Well... I don't know. But largely, for for middle schoolers going to see a Hellraiser, or for, I guess, high schoolers, I would have been. I mean, it's still adults. It's uh, still a lot of weirdo, sexy times. Uh, Still a lot of skinless skinless people. We got amputations. We got some, you know, ironic tortures. I I, I think this is more Hellraiser than not. Okay. Well, tell that to me when this came out as as a youngin'. Well, I don't have a time machine. And if we had a time machine, we could stop the Amityville films. You know, the worst thing is the acknowledging or or admitting to myself that if I had a time machine, I would end up just buying the toys that I missed uh, the chance to get at a reasonable price. Like, I wouldn't Mm. even steal them. I would just buy them at the original price instead of what they are now. Would you then take those toys with you in the time machine, or would you put them in storage so they're properly properly aged and vintaged, and then go get them out of storage now? Why would I want them vintaged? I don't know. Just authenticity. It's an. I feel like for a collector, it's a valid question. (laughs) Would somebody want to go back and get a first print Detective Twenty Seven, and then bring it back and it's not yellowed at all? Why? (laughs) I don't know. People get weird about collections. Variant covers. People buy variant covers. I don't get that. I mean, I don't get that either. But it's just like, ooh, I want to get this Metroplex at a reasonable price. But man, it doesn't have the yellowing yet. Some people, that's the charm. That's vintage T-shirts. They're better if they're worn. Mm. If they're like, if they're starting to fade, or they're, yeah. they've got holes, or like, you know, just they're getting threadbare. You can usually get double, if not triple. See, I just want the thing at a reasonable price. Okay, yeah. but I'm just speaking for knowing weirdos. collectors for weirdos like mm-hmm. you. Oh, I'm, I don't. I'm not into that side. I mean, I like it to be the nice version that I can put on display. Yeah, but. They're out there. They're out there. Look at the people obsessed with slip covers for DVDs. Mm, really? Obsessed. You can buy Shout Factory slip covers for out of print titles. The slip covers are 
Triple digits. That's insane. But people do it. They have the movie. They got the movie somewhere used. They just never got the slip cover, Oof. and they will pay for them out the nose. That is for the cardboard. Yeah, that is a it's, weird type of completionism. But dude, look up slip covers on eBay. I, I mean, I've seen them because like I'm looking for the actual Blu-ray, but yeah. and then they come up kind of in the searches. Mm-hmm. But like, ugh. yeah, I just thought it was more like, oh, I have this extra. Let me see if I can get money for it. That's what I think some people selling them do, but some people literally are just like, I like my collection. I don't care about the slipcover. The movie is the thing I bought. I mean, I used to be that way, too. Yeah. But like they, I, they're in the trash. <laughs> oh, that could have been a car. Oh, no. It's bad. Like, I, I end up, because now I put more Blu-rays and stuff on my shelves, I've had to go back and try to find ways to reprint the covers for the box. Ah, yeah, it's annoying, but that's neither here nor there. I, so yeah, uh, it is flawed. I still think it, it is definitely a different flavor of Hellraiser than that we're used to. Um, and that it, probably it's, set it's, us up for what's coming on the straight to videos. Yeah, you now the first two Hellraisers are the really good burgers you get at the local pub. Mm-hmm. This is McDonald's. Fair, yeah. It's the same thing. It is a it is a hamburger. Ingredients are pretty much right all there. Yeah, um, there is there is a lack of personality or soul to the thing. But yeah, I'll give you that. Mm. But yeah, I don't think anyone was you know. I think everyone tried to make something fun. I just don't think that they had the right idea as to where to go with the series. Yes, I get started from the very like from the storyline idea. Right there, that's where it came apart. Everybody tried to make a bad idea work front to back. Fair, fair. But that's the that, that's Hellraiser three. Next week we will be doing Hellraiser four. Bloodline. Bloodline. This is the only one I ever saw in the theater. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. I still have my poster for it. Oh, nice. I actually might even have a banner for it. Um, the poster does indicate uh, famously directed by. Alan Smithy. That's the one. Who may or may not have been Kevin Yeager. But we'll get into that next week because we've talked enough about this one. So until next week, get the hell out. See you in hell. If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com.